You are listening to The Scope, Phelps Health Podcast, Episode 8. Let's get started. Hi everybody, I'm your host, Paige Heitman. The Scope Podcast is produced on a regular basis and can be found by visiting phelpshealth.org. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your SoundCloud stream or you can follow us on our YouTube channel. Today our guest is Dr. Tim Martin, Division Chief for Phelps Health Medical Group Specialty Division and a cardiologist at Phelps Health. Dr. Martin, welcome to our show today. Thank We're you. really excited to have you here. Before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself, your education, your career at Phelps Health. Well, been here about 20 years. Mm -hmm. Initially came in as an associate professor of medicine uh, from Washington University, where we ran a clinic here. At uh, approximately seven years ago, they mm -hmm. decided to close the clinic and um, I decided to stay with the patients here. So my dad and I started the cardiology clinic here. Mm -hmm and uh, I've continued it since that point in time. And over the last several years, I've mm -hmm. actually uh, began uh, uh, moving into the administrative aspects of the, of the facility and, and division chief of the specialty services here at Phelps Health. That's fantastic, we're really lucky to have you. So two decades, what has kept you at Phelps Health? You know, the uh, area here is uh, always something I've wanted to work in, the rural community, the family type of atmosphere that you get not only with the patients, but mm -hmm. with the uh, people that I work with. Uh, they're not only people that I take care of, but on um, in, in a personal note, you see them in, in, the, uh, in the public and acquaintances and friends. There, there's, mm -hmm. no, there's no animosity. Yeah, there's a personal touch that you don't get maybe in larger cities. Great personal touch that you don't get. And, yeah. uh, you know, and, and it's been a, a remarkable experience here. That's fantastic. Well, I know we're all very lucky to have you. Um, so what's really cool is that you recently went to New York to volunteer mm -hmm. as a cardiologist at one of their mm -hmm. hospitals. So I'd like to take a little bit of time before we dive into our topic and talk about your experience there. Great. So, yes, when the COVID hit back in uh, early January, mm -hmm. February, when we started to realize that this was going to be a pandemic, mm -hmm. I started thinking about what that could affect our population here mm -hmm. at Phelps Health. Now we're, we're in the middle of Missouri, which is in the middle of the country, so yeah. I knew we had plenty of time before this would start to hit. At the time that the virus started hitting, we didn't know anything. Okay. Data coming out of China was very interrupted and very brief. Mm -hmm. uh, as it started to hit the European societies and then now move into the United States, we started getting more and more of an indication that this was going to be a very, very detrimental virus and something that could be a problem for our health, for the health of the people down here. With that, we took measures to instigate the emergency operating centers mm -hmm. and then shutting the system down and getting ahead based on what we were seeing in New York and New Jersey and mm -hmm. the larger cities and how bad it was starting to hit them. So we started early here in Phelps, uh, in Phelps County and shutting down the system. With that, obviously the number mm -hmm. of patients, the procedures, all the elective cases that we were doing went down. And with the addition of our two new cardiologists, uh, Dr. Fenelsev and Dr. Shockett, uh, there were three of us pretty much doing mm -hmm. very minimal work. At the time, uh, with the advancement of the, uh, the issues that were arising mm -hmm. and the call for the need to help, I thought it was, I thought it was prudent that I that I take the opportunity to one, go learn about what was going on and get a better experience that nobody had at that point. Yeah, nobody time. knew, especially in rural Missouri. Well, Rolla, St. Louis, mm -hmm. Chicago, New York, New Jersey. 
and uh, two, it uh, allowed me to do what exactly I've always wanted to do, and that is to help people. So I volunteered my services and um, you know, put my name out there and uh, was contacted by uh, NYU uh, Medical School mm -hmm. and uh, Bellevue, and uh, they asked me if I could come up and help. And so they flew me up there, put me in a hotel, and uh, I worked up there for several weeks. Wow, that's amazing. So what are some of your key takeaways from New York? Well, uh, the key takeaways from New York is that we're dealing with something that medicine has never seen before. Mm -hmm. And uh, it uh, was evident from day number one mm -hmm. that uh, the virus alters the physiology uh, and the pathology of how things occur in the body different than we've ever experienced. So we weren't dealing with just one organ system, we were, doing, we were dealing with the domino of organ systems and fashions and manners that we've never seen or experienced before. So would people come in with all types of different symptoms? Is that kind of what you're alluding to? The majority of, no, the majority of patients would come in with shortness of breath, mm -hmm. fevers up to 105. Uh, rarely, but still very common, people would come in with nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. Mm -hmm. uh, very few came in with heart conditions, but that was still a, a, a presenting symptom for mm -hmm. some. And still yet, even in, in rare individuals, but still very uh, much more common mm -hmm. were, in, in certain age groups, was that stroke. People were coming in with, with, um, with new onset neurologic findings. Now, I say it's rare, a, a more common but rare finding because we were seeing it in young people. People that we wouldn't expect have strokes. Yeah, but young we're showing people. up with motion, wall motion, you know, with uh, motor dysfunction, with uh, speech impairments, with mental status changes, and finding that we had strokes on, on the CT scan, only to find out that they were also COVID positive. And when we did the workup, noted they had the, the characteristic findings. Wow, that's very scary. So, whenever we talk about New York, now that you're back here in Missouri and things are starting to open back up, what are you kind of recommending for, for patients and the community as we go out and social distancing efforts are, are still being recommended, but maybe not necessarily followed? So the, the social distancing is going to be the, the key, mm -hmm. washing your hands. And it turns out that we're, you know, from the data that we continue mm -hmm. to follow, is that it is the time of exposure to a COVID positive person mm -hmm. and proximity. So we, there are individuals rare individuals who are COVID positive and carrying the virus and shedding the virus who are asymptomatic, reportedly, not having any of the okay. common findings. Uh, they may have felt fatigued or ill in some okay. fashion and just pushed it off, but still shedding virus. You can't control that, but you can control your exposure rate to individuals, and that's with the masks and when, you're, when you're out in public and washing your hands consistently. I think someone once reported that, uh, you know, we touch our face probably about a thousand times a day without even thinking about it, brushing our hair back, fixing our glasses if you wear them, you know, uh, when you uh, get an itch, you know, when you feed yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we, we do this so inadvertently, we don't think about that. And yet, if you have picked up the COVID virus by contact in, on a contact service that wasn't cleaned appropriately, and then you, you have to, you know, uh, scratch your, your face or you rub your mm -hmm. nose, and you inject, the, you inhale the virus, you now are propagating it. So we can't control people in general, but of we can control ourselves. And, and, and social distancing works, and wearing the masks. Why is it so important for everybody to wear a mask? 
as awkward as it feels and as awkward as it looks. You know, the uh, the mask prevents the spread immediately of mm -hmm. uh, the of uh, of your of your of your exhale breath. Mm -hmm. it, it it diverts it laterally or in, down into mm -hmm. your clothes. And when somebody coughs, mm -hmm. you can actually get that out very quickly. It's some up to sixty or seven miles an hour, and it can wow. go out three to four. It can go three to four times mm -hmm. the distance of your normal breath, which can be 10, 12 feet. Mm -hmm. So the mask kind of reminds you that, hey, you need to be careful when mm -hmm. coughing or talking in some direction. And it's best to still social distance with the mask mm -hmm. on. And again, these are the people you can't control. Yes. You know, the younger people, the people who feel like they're not at risk of having a problem mm -hmm. are going to be doing what they're doing. So the best thing you do is social distance in there. When you see something down the hall, you know, the aisle, move off to the side, mm -hmm. face away from them. If they cough, you can ask them to cough into their shoulder, into their elbow, or you know, into a into a Kleenex mm -hmm. uh, away from you. Yeah. So it's going to be important, I think. I don't think that we're going to see the numbers that we did in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, we may get several cases where people get it and they go into the respiratory components, the the what we call the respiratory distress syndrome. Okay. Uh, I don't think we're going to see the numbers. Why is that? Mostly because um, New York, you put about eight million people in ten square miles, mm -hmm. and uh, and I think that the bigger cities that are having the problem are the ones that have the the uh, mass transit. When you get on, a, I've been in New York before mm -hmm. the COVID, and you're and you're getting stuffed into a uh, into a uh, mass transit system, and somebody's not feeling well, and they cough, they cough into their hands, they're not touching the railing, or they cough mm -hmm. openly without thinking about it, and it's now throughout the entire car. Yeah. Now those all those individuals are now infected. They take it home, and so I think it spread rather quickly. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's already hit here in Rolla, or do you think that we're waiting for some type of hit to occur? The data is unclear right now whether or not we have people that have had it and are asymptomatic because we've not had the tests. Those yes. tests are now coming. Mm -hmm. uh, people can find out if they've been exposed, mm -hmm. you know, or if they've had it acutely uh, or chronically. And uh, we're getting better at that. We just recently purchased and started uh, testing equipment mm -hmm. for uh, rapid testing here at Phelps. So we're hoping to uh, improve our, accurate, our diagnostic accuracy. Mm -hmm. Do we have it here? We probably do have it in society somewhere, mm -hmm. uh, probably through travelers who've come through. Mm -hmm. uh, has it hit? Not really. We haven't seen anything, although we're very acute. We're, we're very uh, hyper-acute to the individuals mm -hmm. coming in with shortness of breath and fevers and nausea, vomiting, and sudden onset of diarrhea or headaches. We're, we're testing them regardless and isolating them and, uh, um, and pretending like they do, do. they do have it until we get negative tests. But even in a negative test, people have to understand that the original test that we're using, sensitivity can be as low as 48% and as high as 70%. So we're missing quite a few. Just because you have a negative test doesn't mean you're negative. It just means we didn't pick it up. Wow. So, so can positive, somebody get retested then, or how does that we work? We retest. Okay. Right. And so a positive test, on the other hand, is mm -hmm. you have it. Mm -hmm. So the positive predictive value is great. The negative predictive value is not. So we have to we have to be smart about it. So I have one more question, and then we'll transition into our next topic. Um, as a rural community, which is what Rolla is, and you know we're classified as a rural hospital, and how can we benefit from your time in New York? What are some things that you've brought back, or some teachings that you've shared with other um, providers in the community? So uh, what we what I've learned in New York, mm -hmm. and what I've already brought back, and I've had some meetings with uh, the, the uh, group of individuals. Mm -hmm. uh, 
for the CMO at the hospital, CMO at the, mm -hmm. at, the, at the medical group, and with the hospitals who are the main caretakers, mm -hmm. along with the anesthesiologist. We've already instigated, and that was before we even left anyway, yep. on how we're going to treat and what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. uh, with the, uh, the knowledge of New York is then, uh, as I've told everybody, just throw standard medicine out the window. Just throw it out because what you see, what we're going to see if we ever get to that point mm -hmm. is nothing like you've ever experienced. And what you think will work often is detrimental. So we've instigated a process that if individuals are COVID mm -hmm. positive and respiratory, having respiratory issues, that myself and uh, Dr. Sabran, our, our pulmonologist, mm -hmm. will ultimately assume a consultative and interactive care with these individuals along with the hospitalists and start managing them um, in hopes to curtail the, uh, the problems that we've seen up in New York. Well, it sounds like we've been very lucky to be in a rural community. So for that, we should probably be very thankful. Yes, we've been isolated and we've got it on the periphery and it's slowly going to move this way now. With mm -hmm. the summer season coming and people getting tired of being isolated and, yep. and homebound, they're, they're starting to migrate in their campers. and mm -hmm. So we may start seeing a spike here. And that's, that goes along with the problem. People don't think that they yes. have it, that they oh, I just have a little bit of headache, a little dehydrated, and yet they, they, they do actually have the COVID. And, yeah, we have to be cautious. It's a problem. They can be, they can be a full, fulminant viral load and mm -hmm. fulminant viral uh, pathology going mm -hmm. on and still look normal. Yeah, they and could, you just wouldn't know. You don't know. The only clues would be that they might, the blues might, mm -hmm. their lips might be cyanotic or slightly blue, their fingertips may be slightly blue, and they just don't feel well, they get a little lightheaded. Yeah. And they never really did get the fever, or they get a fever, mm -hmm. it's just small, so they take some Tylenol and it goes away and they mm -hmm. feel a little bit better. And it's not until they fully inhibit their ability yeah. to oxygenate their blood do they really go crashing. Yeah, they play this cat and mouse game with themselves. Right. Well, I think that's what's so scary about COVID-19 is there's so much that's unknown and I think that's why the public has been so kind of on edge because the people that we rely on, our public health experts, our providers, mm -hmm. they don't know. Right. You guys are kind of playing it by ear. Right. And that's, that, was the, uh, that was the knowledge when I first mm -hmm. got there. We've learned quite a bit since that point yeah. in time. We now know its effect on the multi-systems and mm -hmm. how and we think we now know how they, it's, 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 mm -hmm. it's affecting the organ systems. The biggest one is that of the clotting system, which goes mm -hmm. back to stroke. So there's a lot at risk. There's a lot, and uh, what we see is, uh, again, we see pathology that and, and, and conditions that are just that are overlapping. Mm -hmm. So we get a coagulopathy, we get a cardiomyopathy, we get renal failure, mm -hmm. we get liver failure, and uh, it's um, and they overlap, but they're all related. So whenever we correlate this to heart health, if patient, if stroke patients or previous stroke patients do get infected, are they at a greater risk of experiencing more or greater complications? So we don't know the answer for that for sure, mm -hmm. but the, the suspicion is yes. There are, we, we do now know that the individuals that are most at risk mm -hmm. are individuals who are overweight, high blood pressure, diabetes, or have a pre-existing immunological compromised condition. So. 
if somebody does get COVID-19 and they haven't had a stroke, but they have one of these other things like they're overweight or they're immunocompromised, are they more susceptible to having a stroke if they're overweight and they get COVID-19? So we don't know the frequency again mm -hmm. of strokes because these strokes are yeah. microvascular, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, the initial reports say that one of the things you can find out, uh, you can look for uh, people with COVID is if they had changes in sense, sense of smell and taste. Okay. We now know that's probably related to microthrombi formation. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 a, it's a complex question and answer. We don't know. The, are they at higher risk? Are they, can we predict the risk? No. We do know that these individuals that get into this cytokine cascade, this cytokine storm, mm -hmm. and develop these multiple different types of coagulopathies that are overlapping mm -hmm. are at extreme risk of, of, of causing problems. We miss a lot of it because they're intubated and they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're sedated and they're in high flow oxygen. And so yeah. when we're in New York, we did our exams from outside the room. We really? didn't actually go in and examine okay. them. We didn't wake them up. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't scan everybody because scanning everybody would have... Well, you probably didn't have the time either. Time and resources. Yeah. So we ended up treating them with just by the numbers and what was going on and trying the different uh, type of medications. Wow. So why is it so important right now for patients, especially in our area, to maintain their heart health during this time and even before COVID-19 hit? Well, maintaining heart health has always been its mm -hmm. key. The, the heart health, if you go to, if you go, if you go into uh, this infection with uh, a detriment and you're mm -hmm. already knocked down because of your heart yeah. and your, your deconditioned mm -hmm. heart or your other issues, the, the chances of survival go way down. So the, the acronym they used when we, when we got up there, mm -hmm. when a person had more than two systems that had failed mm -hmm. and they coded, they didn't, they didn't uh, proceed to try to resuscitate them. Because of lack of resources? 99.99% failure rate. Wow. When they died, they died. And they just and they just die. They just look you. They look mm -hmm. they look like they're doing okay, and the next day they're passed away. Was that really hard for you guys to, to deal with on a daily basis? So, it's hard to deal with it afterwards, not mm -hmm. during. You know, it's um, during the crisis. Mm -hmm. I think I can speak for a lot of physicians and yeah. nurses that uh, that work. They don't think about the ramifications and the and the their own personal feelings, their job is to focus on what can I do to save this person's life. Mm -hmm. And if you've been in the hospital, and the nurses and the physicians will know, when a code is called in the hospital and you have 10 or 12 people show up, imagine that every third room in an ICU floor that has 90 beds, 30, okay. ICU, 30 codes going on at one time, mm -hmm. and the majority of them not surviving. When you get intubated, in New York, at Bellevue Hospital, where I was, uh, and you were intubated, your your uh, death rate was uh, approximately 88%. Mortality wow. was 88%. You chance. know, that, that kind of makes me think of the show uh, MASH, if you've ever watched that, where they're doing this like knee ball type surgery and they have all of these people out, all of these um, soldiers who are wounded, and they know that they can't save all of them, but they don't even have time to think about it. Actually, that's the, the, that's the, that's the mm -hmm. I use that very, very, uh, very, very example when I talk to people. Mm -hmm. So I think of MASH in a big hospital. Mm -hmm. We were, my first day there, I um, uh, helped out on three tracheostomies uh, where we took the tube that they had been ventilated mm -hmm. and we put it into their neck and uh, assisted on that for three of them. 
the we were doing we were doing appendectomies, cholecystectomies, peritoneal dialysis catheters in the room. We didn't take them to the OR because mm -hmm. you didn't have time or the resources. Mm -hmm. the, it was the infection. We didn't yeah. want to spread the infection throughout the hospital. Mm -hmm. We localized it, and the reality is, is moving it from one to the other was was detrimental. The risk to the of patient. infection was too high. Risk of infection, but the risk of the patient dying in route because mm -hmm. you take them off all the all the support and you have to move them to another floor, into the room, then bring it back, clean the room, and get them back and stable. Mm -hmm. So we just use the ICU rooms as a operating rooms. Wow, that's, I mean, it's incredible that we can still do that and we can move that quickly, but it's unfortunate that we have a pandemic going on. Nobody ever, I think, wanted that to happen or really prepared for it. I don't think you can really prepare for a pandemic. You cannot. We, I think we will be better off in the, yes. in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, I think um, what we're going to find out is a lot of, uh, we're going to find out a lot about the immune system and mm -hmm. its reaction to, to infections. And the mm -hmm. immune system as a whole and maintaining the, a, the normal physiology mm -hmm. of day-to-day -day function. And we've learned quite a bit already about the immune system and autoimmune disorders mm -hmm. and their effect on future disease process. Secondly, we're going to find, I think we're going to see a, a change in how people act in society. I think we're going to see the social distancing still occur on to a various degree and during phases of, of flu and, mm -hmm. and other issues, we're going to see a change in how people are, are, are addressing and, and, and be addressed uh, going out into mm -hmm. the public or staying home. Lastly, I think, uh, and more importantly, we're going we're gonna to see what effects this has had on the healthcare system, uh, not just financially, but uh, emotionally and, uh, and uh, physiologically, uh, you know, with the physicians and nurses. When I was up in New York, uh, I remember going, getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning, mm -hmm. going to the hospital, and working till 7 at night, and then going home and collapsing. And you don't really get to deal with the, with the trauma and the and the and the, and the humanity mm -hmm. to the significant degree you really need to, uh, you know. But it, 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 it takes its toll, you know. Even the I see nurses here and the and the nurses mm -hmm. on the floor will tell you, you know, that uh, even when the code's going on and when the, when, when things are really, uh, you know, crashing and you're doing what you have to do, mm -hmm. you go home and, you, and and all of a sudden you're alone. Now, I was so exhausted, I didn't really hit it. It hits yeah. afterwards. Yeah, you, afterwards. you don't really get a chance to process. And you remember the 39-year-old that, that was doing well, had a normal leg on the next day. Mm -hmm. His heart was just stopped in front of you, and everybody just walks to the next room because there's nothing you can do. It's going to be a, um, it's gonna be a daunting event mm -hmm. to come overcome. We'll get over the COVID. We're going to find it. We'll find a, we'll find a cure for it. Yeah. Uh, it, it's going to come. Mm -hmm. uh, and, it's, and it came at the cost of a lot of people. One of the emergency room physicians that were up there in New York actually, mm -hmm. you know, succumbed to that, to the to the psychological stresses, and uh, it was unfortunate because we, you know, we hate losing people. And yeah, of she, course. She ended up um, taking her own life, and it was it's a, and it just hits the system even worse because then you find out about that, and yeah, you know, now you got to deal with the fact that you know the people that you're working with mm -hmm. now. People who could be you. Yeah, and so it's uh, so I think we're gonna I think we're gonna see a difference in the mental health and, uh, and screening and, and health of the physicians and the nurses and the and the healthcare workers that are involved. Now there was a lot of good that came out of that too. I mean, I don't really people with it like oh my God, this is abysmal. The reality is is that uh, when when this all happened, the community came together like I've never seen. Uh, I walked out the first day and 
lining the streets were the police and mm -hmm. the uh, fire people and people out of the streets and they were just clapping and the sirens were going off and mm -hmm. it was just amazing. Communities were sending food to the hospital so when we came into from our morning rounds they would, uh, sorry, they would uh, have food for us. Yeah, and that really makes a difference. As we get ready to wrap up here, I want to give you an opportunity to, to speak to our community and to folks health patients, employees, and to just give them any advice or insight um, into your experience. So the advice is, uh, you know, maintain the, uh, maintain the, the course, mm -hmm. take care of yourselves, wash your hands. You know, if you're going to go out in public because you can't stay inside so long, uh, try to social distance yourself and be aware of your surroundings. And if you're not feeling well, Take care of yourself, don't go out in public. Let's stay at home, people understand. Um, from the healthcare workers, you know, that we've gotten so much support from the, from the community mm -hmm. as it is, that just keep it up. So that's some great advice to end on. Um, it's certainly a great time to be informed as a patient and as an employee at Phelps Health. Thanks for listening to The Scope. I'm your host, Paige Heitman. If you liked our show and would like to know more, please visit phelpshealth.org. Thanks so much.